Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show, but I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of life coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a waitlist for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show, but I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of live coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a waitlist for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. We'll be right back to today's show. But before we do, I want to let you know that you can get a free copy of my first book, Think Unbroken, Understanding and Overcoming Childhood Trauma, when you leave a review for the podcast on Apple Podcasts, either on desktop or on your phone. All you have to do is go to Apple Podcasts, look up Think Unbroken, click follow in the top right, and then go and leave a review at the bottom. And when you leave that review, screenshot it and send it over to book.thinkunbroken.com 
where you can upload your contact and mailing information, and we will send you a free copy of this award-winning best-selling book, absolutely free, including shipping. Just go to book.thinkunbroken.com to upload your screenshot review from Apple Podcast for the Think Unbroken podcast. And until next time, my friend, be unbroken. I'll see you. Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show, but I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of live coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a waitlist for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. Can you really learn to love yourself? Can you really heal? Can you really become the hero of your own story? I believe what I'm about to say the answer is yes. And how do I know this? Well, not only am I living proof of it, but so is today's legacy guest, Nathan Spiteri. I interviewed Nathan three years ago on the podcast. And his story, to be honest with you, was a bit gut-wrenching. He was the victim of a brutal pedophilia experience in which he was groomed and taken advantage of as just a small boy. And it shaped him for a very long time, creating a man that he chose not to be, but didn't know how to be who it is that he wanted to be because of the pain, the hurt, the suffering. And Nathan wrote a book called Toy Cars, One Man's Journey from Trauma to Triumph. And as you know, one of the things that we frequently talk about on the show is how do you transform your trauma into triumph? And today, Nathan is not only an author and a speaker, but he's also an actor and a filmmaker and an advocate, someone that when I think about the journey, when I think about the life that we have in front of us, inspires me constantly, frequently, daily. And what he's been able to do, build, and create in his life powerful. And my hope is that as you listen to today's episode, you recognize the very thing in him that I believe is in you as well, is that you have the ability, my friends, you have the power to learn to love yourself, even though it's hard, even though it sucks, even though most days, most days you don't want to deal with this. Most days you just want to run and hide and get under the covers and act like nothing happened. And I get why, like, I've been there. There's safety in it. It feels safer to hide. 
to run, to walk away, to stuff it down, and to pretend it didn't happen. But at some point, if you want to heal, if you want to be the hero of your own story, if you want to transform trauma into triumph, you're going to have to recognize one of the most difficult truths in this journey, that you are not your trauma. You are not your abuse. You are not the experiences that you've been through. But nobody's coming to rescue. You're going to have to do very difficult work. You're going to have to step into uncomfortable situations. You're going to have to learn more about yourself than you ever probably cared to learn. And you're going to have to push to become the person that you're capable of being. It's easy to get trapped. I'm telling you right now, I, I know this feeling as someone who went through a similar experience as Nathan and through many of the same experiences that you who are listening have gone through. Like, I want you to know that I understand. It's not easy for me. Like, I walk around every day with this finger that my mother cut off. Like, I can't run from reality. It's always here in front of me. So are your scars and your cuts and your burns and all the things that have still kept you wounded. And you can heal those wounds. But it's up to you to do it. Nobody's coming to knock on your door. Nobody's coming to hold your hand and help you through this unless you do something very important. And that is that you first ask for help. You first ask for support. You first raise your hand and say, I need guidance. And in this conversation with Nathan, that's one of the things that we talk about, that power, the choice, the conviction required to heal when you've been through things that no one should ever go through. And it's a sobering conversation. It's a, at times, painful conversation. And I wanted to bring this conversation back because it's been a few years. And now more than ever, I think that it can support anyone listening. Anyone who has been through molestation or abuse from an adult, sexually, mentally, emotionally, physically, like so many of us have, I believe in and I believe in your power to heal, but you have to be the one, my friend. Stop hiding. Stop running. Ask for help because it is out there and there are people like me who coach and guide. There are people like Nathan. There are people all over the world who want to see you become unbroken. But you have to want it for you. And that said, my friends, without further ado, here is Nathan Spiteri. You're listening to the Think Unbroken podcast, and I'm your host, Michael Unbroken. I'm an author, speaker, coach, and advocate for adult survivors of childhood trauma and abuse. In this podcast, you will learn how to transform your trauma into triumph, turn breakdowns into breakthroughs, and go from victim to being the hero of your own story. You can learn more at thinkunbrokenpodcast.com. And of course, check us out on Apple Podcasts and Spotify at Think Unbroken Podcast. What's up, Unbroken Nation? Welcome to another episode of the Michael Unbroken Podcast. My goal and company is to give you the tools to help you understand your past, get out of the vortex, and become the hero of your own story. 
This podcast is sponsored by thinkunbroken.com, and you can check out my new book, Think Unbroken, Understanding and Overcoming Childhood Trauma. This podcast is not a substitute for mental health care, but instead, think of it more as a companion where we're here to support each other and to grow. Each episode of the Michael Unbroken podcast is less than 10 minutes, though sometimes that does not happen. So hang out with me. Stay tuned. If you have questions, if you want to have conversations with me or you have information you want to share, reach out to me directly on social media at Michael Unbroken, or you can email me at Michael at thinkunbroken.com. Enjoy this episode, my friend. And until next time, be unbroken. Tell everybody who you are. Um, Nathan, I'm from Australia. I do now live in New York. I've been in New York for the past 12 years, but I guess I'm an advocate and, um, working with a lot of charities on, on sexual abuse and child abuse. And, um, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a survivor of, of child sexual abuse and which went on for quite a few years. And I was threatened with my life. I was told if I tell anyone he'll kill me and he'll kill my family. So I kept it a secret my whole life and until about six, seven years ago. And as a result, I did some pretty terrible things to myself and the people to survive. It was my, uh, you know, my view of the world, my way of getting my power back, my way of feeling alive again was to do some, you know, not so nice things. Um, but that was the only way I knew how to do it. That was the only way I knew how to survive. So, you know, did that hit rock bottom, come out the other side and now am working with a bunch of charities and, you know, I did Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, Sex, sex Anonymous, um, therapy, group therapy, worked in myself a lot and, and really, you know, got my, got me, got myself to where I need to be and, and now just kind of helping others. And, and I have a book coming out about my, about my life, a, a movie's been written and, and that's coming out soon after. So, you know, as I'm, I guess I'm an activist, if you want to call it that and just doing what I can to raise awareness. That's, a, that's incredible, man. And, and you and I connected, uh, someone put me in contact with you like almost a year ago at this point, I think, or pretty close there too. And yeah. we, we kind of connected on, on social media as, you know, one of the great things about social media is we can meet like-minded people and we can find people have these kind of conversations. And it's, it's fascinating to me that you and I are like very much in the same boat, uh, especially as a being men and B have done like all this intense work to like <laughs> create this person that we are now. And, and, and so kudos to you first, man. Cause I know it's like you, you go and like, I've had these moments I rewind, you know, to seven, eight years ago. And I'm like, Oh, what the fuck was I doing? man? <laughs> Absolutely. I, I, I completely understand. I was, you know, I was in a bad place. I, you know, had hit rock bottom. I was, I was shooting heroin. I was smoking crack. I was made dating prostitutes. I, I just did what I needed to do to, to, to forget about my past and to be able to move forward. And, you know, that moving forward for me to move forward, I had to do these things and, and go through these terrible times and do these terrible things because it's, it's brought me to where I am today. And, you know, one of the big things people always ask me, um, do you regret what you've done? You know? And I'm like, sure. I regret it. I'm sorry. And I'm, I, I, I feel terrible that I hurt people. And if I could change it again, I would, but on the other hand, I wouldn't change it because it's brought me to where I am today. If I didn't go through all this, I did, if I didn't do all the stuff I did, 
I, I wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't be talking to you. I'd be dead. I'd be in jail somewhere. I'd be in a gutter with AIDS. I, 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 I don't know where I'd be, but I had to go through all of that stuff to work out who I was as a person and to work out what my purpose is in life. And it's kind of brought me around to, to this, to this moment. Yeah. It's, it's crazy when you really take a second to, to sit back and one, like acknowledge yourself for doing the things that create change, but also to like that moment where you go, Oh, actually, no, I, I don't regret it. I learned from it. I'm not necessarily proud of like the crazy that I did. Cause you know, there's nothing that exciting about like drinking a bottle of tequila and getting extremely high and like driving your car and, you know, no. doing really awfully poor things to yourself and those around you. Like nobody, like if you're getting excited about that, like we should probably talk about some other things, but, but right. We, we, we kind of walk down that path and you kind of, when you look at where your life was versus where it is and you acknowledge yeah. how, how crazy it is to do all that work. And then you, you recognize, and I don't know if this was your experience, but I came to this realization, like, oh, I have the strength, like in myself to work through all of this stuff because I did the NAs, the SAs, the AA, all the A's, I did them all. And, and the only thing that I really got out of that was, and this is my experience and I know how beneficial it is for some people. The only thing that I got out of that for years and years was kind of like, oh, these are people who are unwilling to accept that they have to create change. And for me, it was very much like, oh, no, I see the path that my life is going to take if I yeah. don't force myself to create a different narrative. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, I appreciate, you know, all the NAs, SAs and, and AAN and I met some amazing people and they learned some amazing things. And, and I think for me as well, what the most I got out of it was just listening to other people listening to the web, their stories and, and learning from them and learning about their journey. And, and, you know, that was, that was, I took what I learned from them and, and, and took it with me on my journey. Um, you know, I, I, for me to, to get through this and part of my, my journey was as a straight person, I was going to gay clubs and cruise lounges and, and picking up men and going home with them or doing what I was doing with them in the club. But then I was beating them up and I was robbing them. Um, and that was my way again of getting my power back on, on the man who, who abused me as a child. And this started from when I was about 15 years old, I was going to these clubs at 15 years old and, and becoming violent with these guys. And, and, you know, as much as I was kind of being violent towards them and beating them up, they were doing the same thing to me. So it was a, you know, give and take situation. And I, and I wanted to take it. I wanted to get that that beating. I wanted to be raped again. I wanted to feel all those feelings because that was the only thing that kept me pushed, that kept me, that kept driving me forward. And then, you know, hitting the rock bottom and, and then going to these, these, these sessions. And, you know, I, I have to say, I know, I know therapy is not for everyone, but I think therapy saved my life. I, I really do. Therapy and group therapy being just to sit in that room and, and to one thing I've always done and I've always promised myself is to be completely open and completely honest and just let it all out. Um, and I learned some of the most important things in my life during therapy and speaking to my therapist. Um, so it's, you know, it, it's, it's, it's amazing. Life is an amazing thing because this is a journey I never thought I'd be on. This is, 
you know, helping others and being an advocate and activist is something I never thought I'd be doing. Talking about my, my past is something I never thought I'd be doing. Um, but I kind of feel what happened to me as a kid happened for a reason. And the reason why it happened to me is to tell my story, is to educate the world, is to help other people. And, and through all of this stuff that I'm doing with my book and, and this film and just talking to you and talking to other people, and if I can save one person's life, if I can stop them from killing themselves from using another child, from going down the road I did of, 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 of sex and violence and drugs, then, then my job is done. If it's just that one person, amazing. If it's hundreds or if it's thousands, even better. Um, and we, I, can, you know, I can talk to you about that because I, I had this article come out about me, um, I think late 2018, early 2019. I'm not sure if I sent it to you or if you've read it. It was in an Australian, in Australian newspaper. Um, and it was the first time my story be, kind of became public. Um, and it happened. It was on, sorry, it was Halloween weekend. So I turned, it was 4 p.m. here. It was about 6 a.m., 7 a.m. In, in Australia when the article came out, the Sunday paper. And I started getting messages and emails and all this on, on Instagram and Facebook. And I'm like, I don't want to deal with it. I can't deal with it. So I turned my phone off for the afternoon and I went out and had some fun with my friends for a Halloween party. Turned my phone on the next day at 9 a.m. And I had over 200 messages um, from people I'd, I've known my whole life, people I haven't spoken to. But then I had about 50 to 100 messages from people I've never met before in my life all over the world telling me that I've saved their life. I've given them the power to now tell their story, um, to talk to their parents, their brothers and sisters, whoever it is, um, to get the help they need. Um, and I've had, since that day, I've probably had another hundred over the past year of just people telling me that I've saved their life and I've done things for them. And, you know, women from the Middle East who have never been able to come out about this and India, boy, a lot of boys from India. Um, so it's, you know, it's an amazing thing that this, this little thing that I've done and, and just to be able to come out and talk about it has allowed other people now to be able to come out and talk about their journey, talk about their story and kind of get some closure for themselves. Yeah. I mean that, you know, it's, it's crazy because I relate to that in such a profound way. I'll never forget the first time I got a message from someone and they were like, Hey, what you're doing is impacting my life. Like you make me feel like life is worth living. And I'll never forget that in this moment of, I don't want to call it clarity, but this moment where I, I really came to realize like, I didn't sign up for this job, dude. I had wanted not you take me back 10 years ago. I want nothing to do with this. I don't still necessarily. Right. But I just feel so called to it. And, and that was the moment where I was like, yeah, totally. And I'm like, I'm so fine. I'm going to double down on it because I think the best thing that we can do as human beings and as people who've had a very similar background is to show what the other side looks like. Right. And I, and I know what it's like to sit in those rooms of and group therapy and regular therapy and, and feel the impact of relation of community and being seen and heard and understood where for, for me, my experience was, all right, I'm going to do whatever it takes to just bury the down. And if that means I have to torch everything else in the process, then so be it. And I did that for the majority of my life. And when I was about 28 years old, that's where I hit my rock bottom. And it was in that time where I was like, okay, I can do two things here. One, I can die for sure, because that's what's next. Like whatever's happening right now is the trajectory is not a happy ending. 
or I can do whatever it takes to get healthy. And I opted for the latter. And so fast forward many, many years later, here I am sitting talking to you with the realization that had I not had rock bottom, right? You mentioned this in your own story. I don't know that I necessarily would be here because I found myself enthralled with the chaos, man. Because, you know, we come from a chaotic background and you look at the abuse, whether it's mental, emotional, physical, sexual, whatever, there's something about that where that becomes your status quo. And that was very true for me. And so by the time I'm in my, my early teens and my early, or excuse me, my late teens, early 20s, like I am off the rocker. Dude, I'm doing the craziest you could imagine. I'm getting high every day, breaking into people's houses, stealing cars, running around with guns. Unbelievable, yeah. unbelievable things that even now I sit back and I go, man, I'm lucky I was fast because dude, tell you what, dude, cops were behind me so many times. I, I, <laughs> I'm lucky. I've never been in trouble with the police um, or, or, or really with anyone. Yes, I've been beaten up a few times and I deserved it. And because, you know, the violence and the robbing and the, and, and the breaking in and, and I, I stole a few cars as well with my friends and just the drugs. And I was dealing drugs in Australia. Someone's, someone's looking out for me. There's a higher power. Someone's watching over us because yeah. we're meant to, yeah, we were meant to go through what we were meant to go through. We were meant to, to experience everything in our lives, the chaos, the drama, the violence, the, the, the terrible things, because we were meant to be sitting here talking to each other and, and sharing our stories and educating people. So, you know, as our past was, and as, as, as much as I wanted to kill myself a few times and, and I've hated my life, it was, it was meant to be this way. The chaos was meant to be there. The drama was meant to be there. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think you get to where we are right now without an immense amount of chaos, but then also like, my, my experience is like when I had flipped that switch and decided to do all the work, that was chaotic in itself oh, because I, I, I found myself like doing, cause I'm a hundred mile an hour kind of guy. Like I just have to be like balls to the wall going for it. And I found myself like, oh yeah, I'm going to therapy three times a week. I'm working out five times a day. Like I'm just like doing the craziest, like to get healthy and trying to erase decades and decades of abuse, not only from others, but myself and found that patience is actually the thing that has gotten to me where I'm at right now is just being vehemently patient with myself and the people around me. Cause I realized like it was almost like I was a control freak, right? Because that's what it is. You're trying to control the chaos. And once I just took a step back, I realized I can't control this. All I can do is ride the wave and do the best I can to set myself up for whatever's next. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally, I totally, it's, it's, we've lived the same life. I kind of feel Dude, like totally <laughs> mine have because it's literally probably been in the last year or two. And I've really come to a place where I am comfortable with myself because even through the therapy and, and the group and the, you know, the AAs and all that type of stuff, I was still, you know, falling off the rock. I was still losing my, I was still drinking and doing drugs and, and I wasn't ready. I wasn't. I hadn't found myself mentally and emotionally to be able to accept who I was as a person. So I kept going back to what I was. I kept going back to what was familiar to, to, to me. And, you know, I was taking that one step forward, two steps back, two steps forward, three steps back because I was getting myself better, but then I would just myself up again because I was scared of what was going to come. I was scared of letting people in, letting them in, 
too close and trusting people and opening the door to love um, and communication. So as soon as, you know, these relationships, these people in my life come close to me, I'd be like, whoa, you're too close now. I'd build that wall and push you away. And then I'd just fall off again. And I I'd do purposely this whole self-sabotage thing. I would do things on purpose to these things up, these relationships up to, to, you know, if I got a great acting gig or if I got a great job in general, whatever I was doing, I'd, I'd do something on purpose because I didn't deserve it. I wasn't allowed to be happy. I wasn't allowed to feel this way. So, yeah. I'm curious though, like, like I understand that from, from a, a retrospective perception. I go, yeah, that makes sense to me. But I felt like when I was having those same moments, I didn't realize what I was doing. It just seemed like that was the thing that I should do because it was my experience leading up until those moments. So Absolutely. the self-sabotage thing would be like, Oh yeah, I'm going to destroy this thing, but it's only because this is learned behavior. I don't know what else to do. Exactly. That's the reason why. Not because I was doing it on purpose. It was, it was what was familiar for me, to me. So I would just subconsciously do these things. Subconsciously, I'd, I'd, I'd push you away and I wouldn't communicate and I'd start cheating and doing the drugs and because that's all I knew. Not because I'm like, she's getting too close to me. I need to go and do something to, to, to fix up or I need to yeah. start doing drugs drinking again it was just a subconscious thing it was something that my it's like people always say to you just get over it just move forward but it's it's calm because it's it's part of my dna it's part mm -hmm. of who i am now and i can move forward but i i'm never going to forget it um and i need to have the right tools in place to move forward so i don't fall back into those 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 dark days so yeah, for a long time, I didn't have, sorry, for a long time, I didn't have those tools in place. So I was subconsciously drinking again and, and doing the bad things and beating people up and getting into fights. And because that's, that's all I knew. That's, that was, that's what was for me to, for me. Yeah. And, and it feels real. It feels like what reality is supposed to be until you have this coming you know they talk about the coming to jesus moment right where you're at rock bottom but i think it's a coming to yourself moment where yeah. we're finally like i had to ask myself how, how much of my own am i willing to continue to put up with before i do something about it i mean how how much more can i possibly destroy everything around me and you know to to be where i am now is a complete not only 180 but the the past behaviors that i had i don't recognize one, because they're not a part of who I am anymore, but two, because like there's this immense sense of validation, appreciation, love, and candor that I have for myself because I've refused to continue down the path that was set for me. Because much like you, like statistically, we should be dead or in jail, yeah. right? But somewhere along the line, something, and we said, you know what, there's something else that there's potential to step into here. And Maybe I, for me, and, and I'm curious about your perspective, it was fear, honestly, that guided me into change because I was, it was fear and a chip on my shoulder because one, I was scared that I was going to end up being what everyone else told me I was going to be. And the chip on my shoulder came from that same thing. I was like, you know what, those guys, I'm going to figure this out. Yeah, it was, it was fear for me. And it was a chip on my shoulder because I was rejected so many times and I, not, not in relationships, but just in life in general, in, in whatever situation it was. And people would always say, you're going to amount to nothing. You're nothing. You're a piece of, you're this, you're that. And I'm like, no, no, I'm going to show you. 
I'm going to show you I can do this. And I, I'm going to prove to myself as much as I'm going to prove to you that I can do this and I can get over it. And then, you know, I, I was never really close to my family, but my brother and my sister, I've got two brothers and a sister, one brother and one sister have kids. And when I saw these kids being born, it kind of it lit something in me. And these kids are my life now. They're only seven, five, and three. But these kids are my life. And, and I want to do something good for these kids. I want to show these kids that, yes, I was, you know, I was back in the past. I, you know, I, I was not in a good place. But now I am someone. I am something. And I am helping people. And I am, I'm growing into myself. And we can always grow. There's always light at the end of the tunnel. You know, it's not always doom and gloom. So for me, I just, I wanted to prove this to myself that I can do it, prove it to others. And just kind of getting the, the valid, valid, validation and love back from my family really pushed me along. And, you know, I have two or three really, really close friends who have stuck through me with everything. I've lost a lot of friends and I've lost a lot of people in my life. And I want to do it for these guys as well, because you, know, you, can't, you, you can't choose your family, but these people are my family mm-hmm. and they're stuck with me the whole way. And, and really, you know, I, I, I owe these people my life. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. I've got a handful of people in my life who are closer than any other people that I know. And they're my selected family. You know, my, yeah. my relationship with my immediate siblings were, was always strained because we all grew up in this hyper-violent home. And so our baseline foundational way that we showed love for each other was what? Violence, right? And that really wore its, its way on us. I mean, I even recall I broke my right hand on one of my brother's faces on two different occasions, right? Like that is the kind of like home we have coming up. And, you know, and I fought all the time, all through high school and even into my early 20s, I was always getting into fights. And, and now I think about the friends and you said something really interesting, you know, think of all the people that are no longer in your life, the friends that you've lost. And I had this amazing group of friends who always supported me when I was in the chaos. But the second I switched the, I flipped the switch and I started getting into this healthy thing. It's like, I stopped getting invited to dinners and out to party and yeah. out to, you know, hang out and watch the game and all of the things. And suddenly it was like, Oh, you're a different person. I'm like, yes, I am. And so like, do you want to come along with this? or not. And, you know, I've come to find that the overwhelming majority of that has been no. And that's fine. Because, you know, if you think if it's true, they say that you're the sum total of the five people you spend the most time with, not a single one of my friends ever pulled me aside and were like, hey, dude, you're acting like a complete. Right. And so it makes sense to me that as I created change, like they would, you know, falter out. Yeah, no, absolutely. When I first moved to New York, I Worked in an Aussie bar with uh, just all Australians who worked there. And the place was a brothel. It was literally just sex and drugs and alcohol. And as soon as I came out about my story and I, I started getting the help and, and, you know, going to therapy and doing all that stuff, they kind of all just dropped me because um, I wasn't, I didn't fit into their lifestyle anymore. Um, and I kind of dropped them as well because I knew they weren't going to change. So people come into your life for a purpose. And I've had a lot of people come into my life for a reason, for a purpose. And I thank them for that because I learned from them and, and it was part of my experience, part of my growth, part of who I am today. Um, but now it's just, you know, like you said, it's just that select group of people who are there and who are stuck by me and who, are, who will always be there and who are my family. Um, but the others were there because they needed to be there for that time and for that reason. 
Um, but then it was time to move forward because they weren't going to grow. They weren't going to go on this journey. They just wanted to stay drinking and partying and the violence and the drugs and the sex. And that was who they are. That was who they were. Um, and that was good enough for them. And I, I knew I had to get out of that. Otherwise I was just, I was done. I was, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's tough, right? Because you, you think about, especially in those times, you assume those people are your friend leading up until the moment where you figure out that, oh, actually they're not. They are your drinking buddy. They are your yeah. drug accomplice. They're your, you know, brothel hangout friend, right? <laughs> they're, they're not really about making your life better. And, and, and so now did, being. No, sorry to you guys. Yeah. And so now being in this place where, where we're both in this situation of not intentionally, but by, you know, happenstance, serendipity or whatever it may be called, we're in this place where now we help people in our way just to be able to facilitate change and growth in their life. And, and one of the questions that I get asked probably every single day, I'd be willing to say every day is how do I share my story? And, you know, our stories are dark, they're hard, they are things where we write them and they, people go, oh, I hope that God looks over you and that you write them and people go, I'm so sorry, I, I feel so bad for you. And for me, I, I, I think to myself, I don't feel bad about anything that happened because I wouldn't be here. But that's the thing, like being able to step into that moment and sharing your story is tremendously difficult. What, what was the lead up for you to that? Because here's what I always tell people. You've got to figure that out on your own. I can't give you advice on what to do in sharing your dark pieces. But for, for me, I just said, like, you had hit rock bottom. And I was like, I can't carry this weight anymore. It has to just get off my shoulders. And yeah. I'd already been doing a little bit of the work. But about five years ago, I just made this post. I put it on social media. And then I turned my phone off. And I came back to hundreds and hundreds of messages and emails and text. And people were like, because you have to think for 28 years of my life, I kept every secret to myself. And so for people who are in these similar situations, it's very hard for me to go, hey, you know what, you'll just magically know this moment. But I, I think that's kind of how it goes if it's something that you want to do. Yeah, for me, I think for me, it was when my best friend was my closest friend here in New York. Um, she's actually now moved back to Canada. She's Canadian. She said to me, I'm done. I can't do this with you anymore. I'm, I'm over. I can't have you as my friend because you're just, a, you're a mess. You're a show. You're getting in a fight. You're just whoever you can, the drinking. And, you know, we went to acting school together. And I, I, we, we're on, we're on different paths now. I, you know, I want an artistic career and an artistic lifestyle and you're just going the complete opposite way. So it was my birthday and pretty much no one turned up to my birthday or everyone just kind of was there for five minutes and, and false. So I just got wasted and got up and, and, you know, got into a really bad place. Um, and the whole self-sabotage thing kicked in. I ended up going to a, to a, a, um, a, a gay club here and kind of picked up a guy, went to the bathroom with him, did what we did. And then I just went to town and I just beat him up and, and really hit him a few times. And I was getting to the point where I was just for the first time ever, <laughs> I kind of looked at myself in the mirror when it was done and this poor guy was on the floor and I didn't see me. I saw, I saw my abuser. I saw this guy looking straight back at me and, and, and I realized I am turning into this man. I am, I am now 
I'm not Nathan. I'm not this guy. I'm this man. I, 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 I'm who he is besides the abusing kids and, and, and doing that stuff, the violent side of it. And a week later or a few days later, I rang my, my best friend. I said, listen, I need to talk to you. She's like, no, fast. I don't want anything to do with you. Leave me alone. I said, please, please, please. I need to talk to you. So she agreed. We went to a cafe in the West Village and I'll never forget it. It still feels like it was yesterday. We went to this cafe and she got there before me and she got the middle table in the whole cafe and it was full. It was packed to people. So I went and met her, got a tea or, or whatever I, I, I got from the counter, went back and sat with her. And I just said, listen, I need to tell you something. I said, you're the very first person I've told. I haven't told a soul my whole. And I just kind of blurted everything out. I just told her everything and started crying. And then she started crying. And I, I, I must've been talking loud because I was just so emotional. I didn't really, I didn't realize where I was. Literally every single table around us was just staring at us and watching us and thinking, you know, this guy is, is tell, talking about how he's just been raped and, and never spoken about it for the first time. So through that, she helped me find my therapist. And then through the therapy, I went to group therapy, blah, blah, blah. But the big coming out for me, I guess, was like you said, you know, like I, and like I said earlier, was having this big article come out about me in an Australian newspaper. Um, but under the, under the newspaper's kind of portfolio were all these other newspapers that, you know, for every, literally every single state in the country. So it went Australia wide. And within the first week, there were a million views. Uh, and just having all these people reach out to me and, and speak to me. And like I said, I've had two women from the Middle East reach out to me saying, you're the very first person I've told. I can't tell anyone because if I tell anyone in my town, I'll get murdered. One lady said a lady from her town came out about her story. Her husband killed her as an honor killing because she dishonored the family. She disgraced the family. So the husband killed her and just got away with it, went on his married way. Um, and it's funny exactly what you said. I've had so many people ask me, what do I do now? And what's next? And how do I do this? And what's my journey? And what should I? And exactly what you said is what I've said. I, I say, listen, this is my journey. I've come out about my story because this is the way I have to do it. I don't know who you are. I don't know your journey. So you have to go on your own journey. Yes, get what you need to get from me and from my story and what I'm doing. But I don't know your demographic. I don't know your family, your background, your where you grew up. And if I don't want to tell you a certain thing, you need to do this, 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 and you do it and you confront this person or you, whatever you do, and you end up getting into trouble or you murder someone or this person murders you. And, you know, that's not, I'm not, I'm not a therapist. I don't know. I don't have the answers. Even for myself, still I'm learning every single day. You know, I take it day by day. And that's all I can say to them is, is the patience thing, like you said, and just take it day by day because I don't know what's going to happen in a week. I don't know where I'm going to be in two, three weeks, a month. You know, I have no idea. You know, I don't know that in when I come out, a year after coming out about my story, I'm going to have publishers reaching out to me to do a book deal. I'm going to have a script written about my life. I don't know any of that stuff. So I, I, I can't tell you what to do, but you just need to go on your own journey and just take my experiences on in any way you need to from it, grow from it, um, educate yourself and, and you need to go on your journey. But for me, yeah, it was hitting that rock bottom and then speaking to my one friend who then got the ball rolling into therapy, group therapy, AA, all that type stuff. Um, 
and still, you know, it's, it's, it's like I said, it's, it's, it is a learning curve and I'm still learning every day. And I still, I still every day with relationships and with people and with the way I speak to people. And you know, what's funny, I don't know about yourself and I don't know what, you know, at what age you started for you. For me, it was eight years old. I still find this eight-year-old boy in me trying to get out. I do, and sometimes the stuff I say, I'm like an eight-year-old kid who's trying to, trying to grow up, trying to live his life, trying to live his childhood. Because, you know, when you're eight years, years old and this happens to you and you're threatened with your life, you grow up, you become an adult, and you yeah. do what you need to do to survive. Absolutely. And I mean, like, I, I, I fully understand that. That's embedded in me. Like, my, my mother cut my finger off when I was four years old in spite of my, my father. And then... By the time we were six, she had married like the most hyper abusive dude you could ever imagine. Like this dude, six foot four, 200 pounds would kick the out of my brothers and I, right? And so we grew up so fast. It's not only about like the necessarily growing up, but you're in, you're, you're in consummate fear, right? Yeah. Every time yeah. you, you close your eyes, you can't sleep. Every time you walk in the house, your heart's beating out of your chest. You feel like you're in your pants. Like you're, you're, you're in this place of evil where everywhere in the world is a better place than the one place where you're supposed to feel safe. Yeah. Right. And so that, that to me was what was the, the catalyst for, or I guess what I would say my response to you is growing up and feeling this urgency. And then next thing you know, by the time I'm like, you no, know, nine, 10, 11 years old, I'm kind of just taking care of my brothers a lot uh, because my, my mom was often gone, you know, on these drug binges and my stepfather was an overroad trucker. So you know, we're, we're on our own. There was even a point in time where I spent almost an entire summer by myself at 11 years old with no one around, right? Uh -huh. Because that, that's kind of what we come from. And so when you're an adult, you talked to your point a little bit ago where you're talking about walls being up, dude, you're not, you're not nothing about you is penetrating me because I'm hyper protective of myself while the odd juxtaposition of this, um, the irony is that I'm destroying my own life. <laughs> right? Yeah. Did you ever, did you ever, um, kind of suffer from Stockholm syndrome or anything like that? Cause I, through my, through my grooming and my manipulation, you know, what this guy was telling me and, you know, as an eight year old kid, and we're talking 30, 32, 33 years ago, it's completely different now to what eight year olds and how eight, eight year olds live their life. We don't have internet. We don't have phones. We don't have any of the technology we have now. So, you know, this guy was saying to me, your parents hate you. Everyone hates you. If you tell anyone you'll die, you'll go to jail. The police will take me away. They'll take you away. You know, so just all that he was saying to me um, really got embedded into my head and really, I believed it. I believed it. So for me, I started feeling love for this guy. I started feeling feelings for this guy and I would want to see him. I would go to his house. I would ride my bike to his house on occasion and, and so I could see him and be, be, spend time with him and be with him. Um, and I didn't know his situation. I didn't know if he was married or if he had kids or what, whatever the situation was, but he, he, he did have a wife and a daughter. Um, but she left him. Um, so he was in this house, in this house alone. So, and it was very violent at first. He would beat the fat of me and shove me up against the wall and choke me out until I'm peeing my pants and, and, you know, just do these, these terrible things to me as, as, you know, it happened to you as well. So for me, I, I through all that, just the change in the relationship where he would just get me in the house, 
He wouldn't offer me a drink. He wouldn't give me any food or anything like that. He wouldn't ask me questions about myself. It was just the violence and the sex and, and, and that stuff, which then developed into a loving relationship where he would show affection toward me. He would give me a drink. He would give me chips or lollies, um, sweets. He would um, ask questions about me and, and what I'm doing and how school and, you know, I used to play soccer as a kid. How's, how's soccer and blah, blah, blah. And so it was it just that the, the, the change in the relationship between me and him, um, it, it was, it really impacted on who I, who I became and my, my mental thoughts and, and how I treated other people. Um, it was always very rough and violent at first. And then the love would kind of come and then I would push him away. Cause as he abandoned me, I would abandon all these other people. Um, so it was, it was, yeah, that was, that was my kind of experience, my relationship with, with, with this guy. Yeah. And that's intense. And that's very common for so many people because eventually you, you, for lack of a better term, you break down and then due to just wanting to have relation or connection of any type, you, that is, that is Stockholm syndrome at its finest. Like my, my grooming was different though, because it was, it was violence, right? You, you said yeah. something that I really resonate with where, you know, you started to believe the things that were being said to you. And so, you know, not only do I have, you know, a hyper violent mother and stepfather, but I'm going to school in the inner city, school's super violent. I'm not a learned child by any means because I can't concentrate on anything. And so what am I hearing, not only from my home, but from school and from my peers, you're stupid, you're worthless, you're never going to be anything, nobody loves you, nobody cares about you. And so those things started to be the words that played around in my head. And then my way of coping with it or, or seeking relation was to do the same in return, right? So what do hurt people do? They hurt people. And so as a child, you know, I was, even though I was not only the most poor kid in school, we didn't even have our own clothes most of the time. Um, I was failing elementary school about to get held back, even though realistically, I'm an incredibly intelligent person. And, and I'm just fighting all the time. I'm so violent, dude, I get, I get taken to the principal's office when I'm seven years old. And then the next thing you know, I am in one of those units where they take little kids who are violent and I'm speaking to therapists and I'm spending my weekends there and I'm like going through and having these conversations. And all the while, here's what's fascinating, man. I realize exactly what's happening. I know exactly somehow at that age, I was cognizant enough to realize like the entire situation and how it's played out. Because as adults, we seem to believe that children are not that adaptable and, and intelligent when in fact they know 99% of the time exactly what's happening. They just don't have the tools to process and work through it. So on the same token where you are seeking that love and compassion from this person, mine is how can I hurt more people, right? Yeah. I remember I broke this kid's arm in second grade just so I could see him cry. Like that is kind of the, like that's the intensity of the violence that we were around. And so what happens from that, dude, you go home and then you get the kicked out of you and then the cycle continues. So that was the biggest thing that I had to break. And the last time I ever got in a fight, I was 24 years old. It was 4th of July and I punched my brother in the face and I was just like, this is insane, man. I can't do this anymore. Right. Just the violence, the fighting, because like I, by nature, I'm an athlete. I was a combat sport athlete as a kid. You know, it was at least kind of a place where I could put some of that energy. 
Um, but as an adult, to, to punch your brother in the face, that's, that's pretty intense. But then come back to your point about grooming. What did we do as children? We fought because the only thing we saw was the violence in our home. And we, you, you eventually connect violence and affection and somehow they're the same thing. Yeah. Did the school, did the teachers ever think it was through home and through what, what was happening to you at home? Did they question any of that? Or was that was, they were just weren't, they weren't. Dude, it was a it was a different time, man. It was a different time. I'd show up to school covered in bruises and, you know, smelling like piss because I wet the bed as a child. And we some most of the time, dude, we have wearing water. So I couldn't like bathe before school. Yeah. And uh, the teachers would just kind of turn the other way to go. Oh, he's the bad kid. He's he just needs attention, blah, blah, blah. The reality is, man, by the time I was in high school, I was reading at a collegiate level. I was in all these advanced placement classes and I had straight F's, right? Because I hated school. I hated being there, right? <laughs> and so teachers would just look at me and go, oh, he's the bad kid. So we're just going to like throw him to the side, not realizing what I really needed someone to do was come in to intervene. And not only from the, the school perspective was it a different era, but, you know, the police would come to our house once a week. Like, I remember distinct times my grandmother would call the police to come and arrest my stepfather after he kicked out of me or my mom or my brothers. And they just like, yeah, well, we're not going to really do anything today. Good luck. Right. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it was, it was a different time. And it's funny what you said earlier that hurt people hurt people. That's something that I really resonated with me. I heard that saying probably about five years ago or however long ago it was. And it just stuck with me. And I'm like, that is so, so true because we're hurt and we haven't recovered. We haven't done the work on ourselves. And probably a year, oh, no, not a year, six months ago, let's say, uh, just after I met the publishers, one of the publishers sent me something on Instagram or an email and said, healed people, healed people. And she goes, that's, that's what you are now. You're a healed person. You're healing people. And I'm like, am I, am I really though? Am I, am I healed? Um, I've done the work and I'm, I'm doing the work and I'm in a much better place and I can control my anger. And like you, I used to box. I, I, I did boxing for quite a few years. So I could, so I knew how to fight. Um, but you know, how healed am I? Am I mentally, emotionally, physically, am I healed? I, I, I don't know. And it's just a work in progress all the time, but I guess we are healed because we are where we are right now. We are helping other people. We are talking about our stories. So, you know, as much as it always will be with us, as much as it's always going to be a part of my life and who I am, I don't know. It's, it's a tough one. I guess we are healed. We were hurt and we were hurting people, but now we're healed and we are healing other people. We are helping other people. Um, it always didn't sit, sit good with me. And it's, it's what you brought up as well earlier people always praising you and saying, oh, you're amazing and you're a hero and you're saving me, you, you know, you're saving my life and you're doing this. And I hate hearing that. And I hate hearing people say to me, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry what happened to you. I just, it doesn't sit right with me. I, I, I hate the praise and I hate people telling me how good I am now or, or that I'm a hero now, or that I'm saving people now. It just, it, I, I, I still need to kind of get into my head that that's where we're going and we're going to be hearing a lot of that stuff. Um, I get that, man. And I'll, I'll have these moments. And, and I, I actually shared it with my partner just yesterday. I was like, it's really fascinating to me when I get a message from someone who is 
looking at me towards inspiration or who has sent me a message or a text or a voice note. And they're just like, you're changing my life. And, and what I've come to realize with that, Nathan, because it's a really valid point that you have, because for the first couple of years of doing this, it struck me as odd. And now what I've come to realize is because of the choice that I've made to continue down this path, it's actually in part my responsibility to, to just acknowledge that it's okay that I can have that kind of influence. Because you have to think about growing up, dude, we were, this, this is my, I'm not gonna put words in your mouth. My experience was I was invisible. And so to be in this place to be seen, it was really uncomfortable for a long time. And then now it's like, I, I, it's not that I necessarily welcome it or I seek it. It's, it's a part of this thing, I think by proxy, if anything. And a lot of people understand and have this similar experience, whether it's in work or relationships or, you know, in hobby or sport, where an acknowledgement to them feels so uncomfortable that, that they would rather it not be said than to just sit with it for 10 seconds and go, you know what? Yeah, I'm allowed to have this. Because it's hard, man, because you, you come from this place where no matter what you do, it could be the greatest thing or the worst thing ever, you're invisible and no one seems to give up. Yeah. You have to give up. And so like I had to bury it into my brain that it's okay. It's, it's not that it doesn't still feel, and it may forever feel slightly odd and strange, but I just acknowledge the fact that the ability that I have by stepping into this thing that I never planned on being a part of is, is something that benefits people. And by proxy, it benefits me because it helps me feel more like I'm on the right trajectory when I read things like that. That makes sense. That does make a lot of sense. And just, I think you, you touched on it earlier, just having that patience and, and taking that step back and, and, you know, acknowledging it. Yes. Yes. As, you know, as much as you may not like it and hearing those words, but I think just taking that step back, acknowledging it and, and realizing that you are doing a good thing because yeah, we did come from a life of chaos. And we have slipped it. We have slipped the switch. And, and now we are, we are in a good place. We are good people. We are helping others. We are educating the world and, and, and saving lives as much as, you know, you hate to say it, we are saving lives. Um, so, it, you know, it does take a while to get used to and, and to, to sit comfortably with. Um, but I'm, I, I, I am getting more towards that now, especially with this book being written and, and the people I've been speaking to and, one thing that was really fascinating for me, I did a, I was a um, keynote speaker felt, I think it was the seventh annual child abuse conference. It was in Wisconsin, um, in Madison. And I spoke for, it was the first time I got up and spoken in, in public about it. Um, and there was an audience of about a hundred, 150 people. It was, you know, people who had been abused, but then there was counselors, therapists, teachers, uh, people in the law, all that type of stuff, politicians. And there was a guy who come up to me and he said, do you know why this guy abandoned you? And I'm like, well, I, don't, I don't know. I think it's just because he got in trouble or he, he had to get out of town or the police caught him or whatever. And it never, it never, I never worked it out. I never thought about this. And he goes, no, it's because you were growing up. It's because you were getting hair on your body. It's because you were turning into a man. You weren't this little boy anymore. And that's why he abandoned you. And it just kind of hit me. And I was like, I never, ever once thought that. I thought he abandoned me because he just didn't like me anymore or because he got in trouble, not because I'd outgrown the situation he wanted. Um, I wasn't this little boy anymore. I, I, I had hair on my body. I, I, whatever the situation was. So it just kind of stung me. And, and one of the biggest things I learned in therapy, which kind of relates to that is, um, 
And my therapist, it was here in New York. My therapist was this five foot, just a little bulldog of a woman. And she's retired. I think she passed away recently. Um, she would always harp on me. said, Nathan, if you could go back now at this age and speak to the eight-year-old boy, what would you tell him? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. And she would just rip me a new one and just, just really get into me and say, what would you tell him? Think about it. Think about it. Think about it. I never just kind of hit me after a week or two. Um, and she goes, do you know what you would tell him? I said, yeah, I do know what I would tell him. I would tell him it wasn't his fault. And as soon as I, I come to that realization, because I'm not sure how it was for you, but for me, everything happened or everything that happened in my life was my fault. I deserved to have all this happen, bad, bad happen to me. I deserved to, to fail at everything. I deserved to get beaten up. I deserved to get raped. Uh, and as soon as I realized that it wasn't my fault, it was just a, such a weight off my shoulder. It was such a relief. It was such a, a freeing moment in my life to realize that. And it still, it took a while for me to actually process that and realize that and really believe it. Um, and I still sometimes kind of fall back into it. But I, it took a long time for me to realize that it wasn't my fault and there was nothing I could have done. As much as I could have talked about it and got, gotten help, it, yeah, it wasn't my fault. And, and it's a realization that I think once the majority of people who have suffered abuse come to, things begin to change. Mm-hmm. And it, here, what I think is really strange is because I was a very cognizant child of, to what was happening. I knew that what was going on in my home wasn't what was supposed to be happening, right? I, I, I never necessarily took fault for the abuse that was happening to me, but I, I did in my adulthood, in my, well, I should say in my, my late teens, early twenties, I came to this place where the sabotage was my fault because of like what you said about not deserving, right? Not feeling worthy of any of those things. And, and it was in an amazing, amazing therapy session where kind of everything clicked for me one day because I was, I was in men's group therapy, which I think was probably the best thing that I've ever done because was a relation and community that I was seeking for so long where I just needed someone else to be like, oh, yeah, I get it. I've been there. And then you go, oh, okay, good. So I'm not alone. And, and, and one of the guys who I'm still very close friends with, he goes, you know what you need to do is you need to learn how to be angry. And I was like, no, man, I'm angry all the time. I've been in hundreds of fights. And he goes, no, 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 that's not, that's not being angry. That's lashing out. He goes, what you need to do is be able to feel the emotions and feelings along with it. And so what I realized is I was an emotional recluse across the board. So like for the first 28 years of my life, I never tapped into happiness or sadness or joy or, or hope or any of those things. It was just very gray area. And so what happened was, my my the, the therapist who proctored the group he said something to me that was really profound in that i should read this book uh called radical acceptance by a lady called tara brock and i read this book and it changed my life because it made me realize going back full circle to your point about it not being your fault was it wasn't necessarily a fault thing for me it was the way that i was talking to myself that was interrupting my life and because I had no patience, no kindness, no compassion for who I was as a person. And so like stepping into that, that's kind of where the gears started to shift for me in the same way that they did for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
it's it's therapy yeah and and my group therapy as well i think kind of saved my life because i was it was myself with three gay guys and a a female and she was she was gay as well and i was straight or i was having relationships with men i mean having relationships with women my whole life but acting out with men and having sex and being violent with men and, and doing what i was doing with all, with all these guys and i remember one time our therapist said to us all next week i want you to bring in something that you're proud of bring in something that you've done work-wise in life in general that you're proud of and that you've you've you're really happy and, and you're happy to talk about and as soon as she said that it kind of just hit me and i'm like hold what am i going to bring in what am i going to talk about what am i going to do so i just thought about it that whole week and then the next week came therapy came session came and one of the guys was a big, he worked for one of the biggest PR agencies in, in, in New York, worked for one of the biggest ad agencies and, and produced all these ads. The female was, um, she was a head uh, um, fashion designer for a fashion house. So she brought in her portfolio for that. Then all the two guys, one was a singer and brought in some of his songs. The other guy was a poet and brought in his poems and stuff. And then it was my turn. And as these guys were telling their stories and talking about themselves and, and you know, what they're proud of, I was just getting more and more emotional and just, it was starting to hit me more and more. And when it was my turn, and this is probably as much as my lowest point was when I beat up that guy and I went and spoke to my best friend about it and she got me help for the first time. I think this is the lowest I've ever been. This is where I felt like the most, the, the biggest worthless piece in the world. Like I had nothing. So it was my turn. I had nothing to share. I was, there was nothing in the past 30 odd years, 30, 32, three, four, how, whatever year it was now, however old I was, there was nothing that I was, I was proud of. There was nothing that I was happy about in my life. And I just broke down and that was the worst moment in my life. And I remember it was like, like it was yesterday. I've got nothing in 35 years or however long of my life. I've got nothing to share with you guys that I'm proud of that I'm, I'm, I'm happy about. And then one of the guys said to me, Nathan, you should be so proud of yourself because you're here. You're actually doing this. And that's stronger than anything else you could have done in your whole life was actually to turn up, was to actually come out and tell your story. Um, so it was, you know, therapy as well. Yeah. That, that group thing just really saved my life. And I learned so much from these people and realizing that I hadn't achieved anything in my life, realizing that I was just still after coming out about my story, after going to therapy and AA and all that stuff. And uh, now I'm in group therapy and this is probably about a year into my recovery, year into my coming out. I'd still felt that way. My, my, my way of thinking was that I still hadn't achieved anything in my life. I was still off the scum of the earth. I was still a piece of shit. I was just, yeah, I still hadn't achieved anything in my life. And it just, I remember just sitting there and just crying and just feeling the lowest I've ever felt in my life uh, was at that moment in therapy, a year into recovery. As much as I thought my, my lowest point was when I beat that guy up, I almost killed him and I tried to kill myself. And then I finally came out to my friend. That, that, that was low and that was tough. But then to finally be getting myself better and be on the road to recovery, but still 
feel that way and still have those thoughts, that's what killed me. That's what really got me. I think that you know, I imagine so many people who are listening to this can relate to that. Um, you know, it, it's such a hard moment to to come to this place because I, I think there are, now pride, I think, gets thrown around perhaps in the wrong way and people talk about egos and things of that, but you should be proud of the things that you've done in your life. And sometimes because of the, the depth of how toxic your thoughts are, it's almost impossible to get to that place. And I relate to that on a really uh, intimate level because, you know, as an athlete, as a child, I had all these awards and ribbons and trophies and letterman jacket and stuff. And I just, it just would get hidden. I would never see it. And one year in my twenties, I was an international wedding photographer and I got published in this huge magazine that went around the world and I get a copy in the mail and I look at it and I throw it in the trash can. And my then girlfriend at the time, later that afternoon, she comes up to me and she hands it to me and she's like, you're not allowed to throw stuff like this away. And, I, and to me, I was like, that was a really interesting moment because it was this place where normal people, for lack of a better term, would be very proud and they would hang that up and they would flaunt it and show it around. And I was just like, okay, it doesn't feel worthy. I just did this because it seems like the thing that you're supposed to do. And so like, yes, going to therapy and being group therapy really helped me start to understand how to like navigate and work through that. I think there's something really difficult, especially in, in Western societies as, as men stepping into that world. Um, what's that been like for you to, to be like acknowledging the fact that men are supposed to you know, dust themselves off and pick themselves up and, and stop being pussies and, you know, all of the other little adages that come with it. Because for me, it's very simple. I don't give up what other people think about. And so I was able to navigate it pretty easily. But what, what's your experience? I'm kind of the same uh, mindset as you because coming out about it and, and, and just kind of talking about it, I've realized how taboo of a subject this is, how people turn a blind eye and sweep it under the carpet and don't want to know about it, especially, especially when it comes to men because of the whole masculinity thing and like you said, we need to dust ourselves off and get up and just get going again and, and be men and not show fear and not cry and, and not show emotions. Um, and for me now, yeah, I don't give a f If you want to hate me, hate me because the world, it's all about ego. It's all about Instagram. It's all about, you know, the whole Kardashian thing and, and all reality TV and all that type stuff. So if you want to call me an if you want to call me a homophobe because I used to beat up gay guys and I'm you know, trying to have a relationship with women and go for it. I, I, I always say that I lived my life when I was growing up as a kid, a teenager, and in my early you know, 20s and 30s that you could be a seven foot, 400 pound muscle man and you, we're going to get into a fight. Go for it. Beat, beat, beat me up. Jump on my head. Go to town on me because what you're going to do to me right now is nothing of what I've experienced in my life. So, and it's, it's kind of funny with this article that came out about me and I'll send it to you once, once we get off here with this article that come out about me, I didn't have one troll. I didn't have one person on the internet say anything bad about me or, or any of that. And for me now, if, if someone wants to say bad to me and I actually, I, sorry, I, I did have one, not through that article. I had one guy come out after I did an interview with a, um, Good Morning Arland or, or some TV interview I did. And he was from the Midwest. He was abused as a kid um, by, the, by, the, by a priest. 
and he got a $650,000 payout. And he told me this in all his email. In his email, he's like, get the f- over it, move on with your life. You're shut up. No one wants to hear this. You're acting like a kid, move forward, be a man, you know, all that, all that type of stuff. And what I come to the realization after speaking to a few people was that this guy had something terrible happen to him, like you and I, but he was given a $650,000 check. There you go. Shut the f- up. Move on with your life. He's never dealt with it emotionally and mentally. So he's still, like you said, he's still so very angry at what happened to him. And he sees people like you and I who are able to talk about it, who are able to understand what happened to them and to forward and to be able to help other people now. But he's still in that, he's not in that place yet mentally because he still hasn't dealt with it mentally or emotionally. It's like, here's a, six, here's a check for $650,000. Now get on with your life and shut the up. And once I realized that, I was like, and there are most of the trolls you get, most of the people who are going to abuse you and say to you and are people who haven't dealt with situations like ours or other situations in general. They just never dealt with them. They pushed it down and, and you know, pushed it way down inside of them and are, are just angry at themselves and angry at the world. And, and we're the easiest people to take it out on because we're talking about it. We've, we've found peace with ourselves and found peace with the world and, and we're, we're moving forward where these people still haven't. So for me, yeah, if you want to say you're an and you deserve to be raped and you're this and you're that, go yourself. Cause I, yeah, I agree. And, you know, and I think what we do, particularly because of being in the same topic and in talking and advocating for the same thing, we, we, we polarize people. This is a topic across the board, whether it's childhood sexual abuse or physical abuse, mental, emotional abuse, doesn't matter, especially in, in, in America, because I've, I've lived around the world, but America is where I've done the majority of this conversation. The one thing that I always kind of feel like is that it's the elephant in the room, right? Yeah. People, all, so many people have been impacted by this in this country and in this culture, but no one wants to talk about it. And, and as men, we have this... Now it's like two layers of wall between us and the topic because first you have the child abuse side, then you have the men's side. And, and I constantly have this stupid thought in my head where it's like, dude, if I were a woman and I was slightly attractive and I was talking about this, I'd have 10 million followers on Instagram because that's the superficial world that we live in. <laughs> but, but then I come to this realization where like it doesn't matter because if, if one person reads my message and they find any type of validation in it, it's worth it. Because it's not a numbers thing. I don't give a shit about Instagram. I don't care. That's not my point. Not- my point is just like, as a man, it's an exponentially more difficult journey that we're walking down because of the society that we live in, which, you know, as we're stepping forward and we're attempting to create change and be advocates and advocate for, you know, for adults, right? And for children, what's that journey like for you? Now that you're on the other side of it, I know my experience is still, you know, something that I'm wrapping my head around even three years in. What is it like for you? Yeah, I'm still, I'm still wrapping my head around it too. I think I will forever. It's, it's, it's something that I'm just learning every single day and I'm learning about myself every single day and, and the journey's been, it's been a roller coaster ride and, and, you know, it's, it's one that I, I wouldn't change now. And I, I, as we spoke earlier, it's, it's, we've been through what we've been through to be where we are now. So 
I, I, I'm still learning every day. I'm still, you know, I, I've gotten close with my family now, so it's still hard for them because I don't really want to talk about it. I think because of just, you know, where my family comes from and, and that doesn't happen in my family. So for me, it's they're, they're getting used to who I am as a person now and, and me coming out in this story and the book and, and the movie. And, but for me, this journey is going to be an ever growing journey an ever learning journey for the rest of my life, whether it's a tomorrow, there's going to be something new, a new person's going to come into my life and, and really test me. And, and, um, I, I, I was always in and out of therapy and, 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 and group and AA and, and group therapy. And, you know, I've been doing some AA, um, online sessions now because we can't get out of the house, which has been really nice. And I, I've really enjoyed doing them. I haven't had a drink this year. I probably last year I was probably drinking once a month and even that was a bit of a, a, a test for me. And I, I couldn't just, I couldn't completely get off it. Um, as much as I want to, I get no enjoyment out of it anymore, but it's still there and I, I just need to get away from it. So, you know, for me, this journey is ever, ever learning and I'm never going to be able to. I'm at peace with it. I am at peace with it and I've moved forward and, and I know I, I, I think, you know, I don't know if you can relate to this, but for me now, I feel like I'm more of a man than 98% of the men in the world because I know who I am as a person. I know what I want in my life. I know what's going to make me happy. Whether I'm making $20 million a year or whether I'm making $20,000 a year, it doesn't, it doesn't worry me anymore. I just want to have that simple life. What I want now in my life is just simplicity. And I want to feel joy and love for the first time ever. I want to feel these things. And I just want to live on a little shack on the beach and just have a wife and a bunch of babies. And that's, what's, that's what life is to me now. So, you know, my journey is ever growing and ever learning and ever evolving um, because I don't know what's going to come tomorrow. I don't know where I'm going to be, what's going to happen. Like this whole coronavirus thing, like you said in the very beginning with we had so many things to look forward to this year. We've had so many things set out and it's just, you know, completely thrown a spanner in the works. And, and, and I don't know where I'm going to be and what's next and who I'm going to meet. And I don't think I met my wife yet and the girl I'm going to you know, spend the rest of my life with. And, and so I just, I'm taking it a day at a time. I'm, I'm learning things every day, even just speaking to you. I've learned so much through you and your story and, 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 it's it's a journey it's a roller coaster and i'm 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 kind of glad to be on it i sometimes do wish i just had that simple life and i had a normal childhood and and but then i'm like how boring would that be just to have a normal childhood and just to you know <laughs> whether that's right or wrong to say i don't i don't know but i wouldn't change who i am now and and i i i like who i am as a person i know who i am as a person i appreciate myself as a person and I still do bad things or not bad things. I still do the wrong things sometimes. Uh, you know, I'm not beating people up anymore. I'm not going to gay clubs and, and having sex. Man, I'm not doing any of that. I just want to be with, with, with a female. And, and that was another thing just to get off topic a bit. Everyone would always ask me, are you gay? Are you straight? What are you? Are you bi? Blah, blah, blah. And it's something I thought about a lot my whole life and my family and my best friends have asked me, my therapist and group therapy and, and I always said, I know I'm not gay, maybe I'm bi or I don't know what I am, but all the sex I had with men and every, all the, the time I was with a the man, there was never, ever any, any intimacy. I wouldn't hold your hand. I wouldn't kiss you. I wouldn't touch you, caress you, 
There was no love in the relationship whatsoever. I just needed to feel that feeling. I just needed to feel that act again because from eight years old through to 17, I first had sex with a girl when I was 17. So from eight through to 17, I was being raped by all these different men and having sex with all these different men. And it was violent. It was rough and it was dirty. And it was, that's all I knew. You know, it's nine years of that was just ingrained into my head. So that's all I knew was just this rough, dirty sex with men. And that's what made me feel alive again. That's what gave me life. That's what, that was my view was then to beat up these guys and, and do that. Whereas with a woman, whenever I was with a woman or, or touched a woman or, or there was just so much intimacy and love and I wanted to kiss her, I wanted to hold her hand, I wanted to caress her. So, you know, there was never love with a man. I was never attracted to a man. I just needed to feel that feeling. Whereas with the woman, I was always attracted to her. I always wanted the love with her, um, if that makes sense. Um, I mean, it totally makes sense. And I think a, a lot of people, I mean, maybe this is a gigantic blanket, blanket statement, uh, but this was my experience because of the things that happened to me. I faced an identity crisis where right. I was asking myself questions like that too on a different scale where it's just like, who am I? What do I really want? What am I really interested in? You know, being exposed to sexuality at such a young age led me down these crazy adventures, man, going to these clubs at like 18 years old and doing this gnarly stuff. And you're just like, all it was is, man, I just needed someone to see me, to feel me, to touch me, to show me that I, I mattered while realizing yeah. like there, there was no benefit in any of it, except that I was feeding into the experiences of my childhood. And yeah. so this huge identity crisis I was faced with was trying to decipher like, who am I really? Like, what is it that I really want? And, and being able to also make a declaration about it and being okay with it and not feeling um, bad about who it is that I am, which I, I think is a really hard place to be. And so now on the backside of all this work and, and relating to what you said in a really intense way, I now exist in this place where I'm 100% self-aware. I know who I am through and through top to bottom because I've spent so much time trying to figure that out because yeah. I had no idea. I no, dude, if you would ask me why I was getting stoned at seven o'clock in the morning and going to work at a Fortune 50 company and wearing a suit and tie, no idea, right? <laughs> but that was my experience. Like, that's what I was doing. I was just getting wrecked and spending money and having anonymous sex and like hurting people and hurting myself and having $500 dinners because I, I got successful in corporate America really young because I was trying to solve the equation of how do you solve poverty and it's money, right? Or at least I thought, and that money exacerbated my lifestyle, making it far more chaotic. And I had no idea who I was. When I looked in the mirror, it was a stranger as a reflection on the other side. Yeah. And now I wake up in the morning and I'm good. Like I love my life. I love, I love my people, my partner, my family, my friends, my, my, my career, the speaking, writing a book, like hosting pot. Like I love everything that I do. Because now I know exactly who I am. Yeah, no, I get that. That's who I feel. That's, that's how I feel. Sorry. I, I know who I am. Like I said, I'm, I know who I am. I know what I want in my life. And whether, it, whether it's, there's money involved or not, I'm okay with that now. Yes, I always wanted to be rich and you know famous and, and do all that type. But now that's the last thing I care about because I'm comfortable in my own skin. I'm comfortable with who I am. And I think there's so many people in the world who are so lost and it's just all about ego and numbers. And, you know, there's all this 
background noise and the conversations in the background and in their head and, and they're influenced by so many other people. Whereas now I just don't give a about other people. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you wear. I don't care what I wear. As long as I'm comfortable, as long as I'm happy, this is me. Um, and that's, that's what's important to me now. And as long as I'm doing the right thing by myself and by others, helping others, educating, um, putting my story out there to, to, to help others, then, then that's what's important. And, you know, if this book comes out and it's a huge success, amazing. If it's a dud and no one buys it, so be it. Same as this movie. If this movie comes out and it's a huge success, amazing. If it's so be it, but at least I've gotten closure on my story and I can now move forward as much as I'm, you know, I'm always going to be an advocate and an activist and, and do this stuff. And the same as you, there's a lot more to us than, than this story. We're not defined in life by this story. Yeah. Um, this is, and in fact, I almost, I almost look at the story now as work in a sense, yeah. right? Like, like even, you know, through dating and friendships and, and other places, like this isn't what I talk about. This is such a small portion of my life. This yeah. is what I do, you know, as my, my nine to five, for lack of a better term. I mean, it's much more in depth than that, but like that's the simplification of it because yeah. I've found that the best thing that I can do is use this as leverage to help people. It's a part of my career, but it is not waking, eating, living, breathing part of who I am. Yeah. And that, that in a sense is almost like taking it back. And that, that to me is where the, the biggest part of the advocacy comes from because you know, honestly, dude, like I get to turn it off. It doesn't have to sit with me every day like it used to. And oh, it doesn't get, a, it doesn't get to inform all my decisions and everything that I do in my life. It's just kind of, you know what? It goes away. And I step yeah. into it when I need to do what I need to do. It, it's kind of like Batman and Bruce Wayne in this odd sense where, you know, during the daytime, I'm Michael and like, this is just me and I'm a normal guy. And at nighttime, like I put on this superhero cape and I just, <laughs> You know, I, I make a poster, a podcast, or I write a blog or do a video and, and somebody says something to me where they're like, hey, man, that helped. Yeah, yeah. And I, I kind of would go into relationships like that where I would take all this heaviness and all this drama and all this going on in my life. Even when I, when I was in recovery, I would be taking it into these relationships and the relationships were doomed from the beginning because it was just all such a heavy. That's trauma bonding. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I, how long have you been with your girlfriend? Cause I, I was never able to hold relationships. I was never able to, to, to really stick with it because it was just always on my back. It was always heavy. It was always just on top of me. You, you know what it was? I think more than anything, man, is the time a single. Cause I, I was single for three and a half years Yeah, and I was just like, I got to just focus on me. Cause you have to think, man, like if I imagine if, if you really break down all the times that you are with other people, that is a lack of time that you have with yourself. And I've got a better understanding of who I am alone than I ever have with another human. Yeah. Yeah. And right? I'm very comfortable being on my own. I, I love my own space, my own time and just doing me. I, I, I need that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think that like, once you get through this, place that is uncomfortable especially initially especially when you've gone down paths like you and i have gone of where it's like the validation and seeking and wanting to be with other people is the consummate drive for everything that you do once you move out of that and you come to this place where you're good just being by yourself everything's different because then yeah. you go oh no i'm comfortable i don't need i don't need to be with a stranger to make me feel happy i don't need to 
you know, go hang out with my friends every night so I don't feel lonely. You find this space where you're like, oh, you know what? Tonight I'm good. I'm staying in. I'm Netflixing and chilling with myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's very, very true. Just, and this, this time alone now, because I'm in my house and I'm, I'm alone and I don't live with anyone at the moment. It's, it's literally the last 30, 30 days I've been in isolation, however long it's been. And it's, it's really let me get in tune with myself to another level. It's let me kind of really allow myself to really get to know who I am and realizing that I am very comfortable just being on my own as much as I, you know, I do want a partner and I do want to meet someone. I want the family. I'm, I'm okay with just being on my own and, and being in this environment. It's, it does. It sits, it sits comfortably with me and, and I'm not craving that attention, craving that love. And yes, I, obviously I'd love a bit of attention and just like to hang out with someone and talk to someone. Sure. It's uh, human nature. Yeah. Yeah. But for me right now, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm okay being here on my own and, and just, just being in this situation. Yeah. There, there's a great opportunity for us here to really learn more about each other. Man, Nathan, this, this conversation has been amazing, dude. I, I, I think we're going to have to do a few more of these for sure. Absolutely. Um, for the sake of time, uh, can you tell everybody who's listening where they can find you? Um, I guess the best way to find me is on Instagram. That's where I, I post a lot of my stuff that I'm doing, the organizations and the uh, charities I'm working with. Um, so it's just Nathan Spiteri, N-A-T-H-A-N-S-P-I-T-E-R-I. Uh, so you can get me on that on Instagram or on Facebook or even um, my website's www.nathanspateri.com. Um, but I, I guess in, Instagram is the one that I'm on most. Awesome. Dude, th this conversation has been incredible. Like we, I feel like this is just literally the beginning of unpacking it what is. could be like a really deep dive into some, some lessons that we've learned together. So I think we're going to have to do this again. Absolutely. Uh, but, but thank you, my friend. I appreciate you. Mate, me too. Me too. I've really enjoyed this. Thank you. And I'll, I'll, we'll be doing it soon. Yeah. All right, man. All right. Take care. Cool. Hey, man, that was great. Thank you so much. I, I, I that think that that's going to be such a, a great. Thank you so much for listening to Think Unbroken. Please share this episode with someone who could use it and help us move forward in our mission of ending generational trauma in our lifetime. And if you would, please take five seconds to pop on iTunes or Spotify, hit that five star, leave a review. And you can also reach out to us on social at Michael Unbroken or at Think Unbroken. And of course, you can check out our YouTube channel at Think Unbroken. Thank you for being a part of Unbroken Nation, my friends. And until next time, be unbroken. Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show, but I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of live coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a wait list for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. 
and I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.